real quick before we dive into this episode of the podcast. Be sure to grab your free PDF copies of my latest books at frugal.show forward slash free. Now on to the show. If you haven't already, be sure to grab your free copy of my first two books, Frugalpreneur and Authorpreneur, by going to thesarahstjohn.com forward slash free. That's T-H-E-S-A-R-A-H-S-T-J-O-H-N dot com forward slash free. Now on to the show. Welcome to the Frugalpreneur Podcast. I am your host, Sarah St. John, and my guest today is a best-selling author, blogger, and business coach. She works with savvy authors and business owners who are looking to inspire and connect with their audience by sharing her knowledge on self-publishing, email marketing, and productivity hacks. Welcome to the program, Lise Cartwright. Thanks, Sarah. Thanks for having me. Can you tell us a little bit about your background? I know you're a self-published author of over 30 books, some of which I've read and enjoy, (laughs) but maybe about how you got into self-publishing and maybe why you chose that over traditional publishing. Yeah, sure. I mean, I can I can even go further back to where I started, even just started my own sort of business. Back in 2011, which sounds so long ago now, I was in a you know full-time job um, working for a not-for-profit at the time in like an administrative role. And really at that point, I was 33, 34, I want to say, I think, 33, and really just questioning whether this is what I wanted my life to look like. Really, like I was just like, do I want to be doing this day in and day out? And I was someone who changed my job pretty much every three years. Like I would get to that three-year mark and I'd be like, "Mm, okay, I'm, you know, when you get to a point in your job, you pretty much just do it on autopilot. Nothing's new, you know it inside out. So that's where I was in 2011. And I did have a conversation with my boss. And I think I say this in one of my books, it might be Side Hustle Blueprint, where I had a conversation with my boss. And this was really the trigger that sent me down the online path where I said to her, and I could have a frank conversation because she was she's an amazing person. And I just said to her, hey, what does it look like from a career progression perspective for me? I've been here for three years. What does it look like? What do I do to sort of move forward? What are my opportunities? And her response is, <laughs> I'm sure other people can relate. Uh, and she was just basically, well, Lise, one, you make my life easier because you're so organized. So why would you want to change or do something else? And two, from a career progression perspective, I'm it. Like your my, your next step would be to replace me and I'm not going anywhere anytime soon. And so that was the end of the conversation. Like no option for anything else. She just transitioned into talking about all the other things that we need to chat about. I remember getting home from that discussion and one, bawling my eyes out because I was just like, I don't, I felt very stuck. I felt very much like I had no options but to change my job again. And I don't even remember how, you know, you just, you can never remember where you find this information, but I just remember opening an email and seeing something about this amazing website called Location Rebel. 
Sean Ogle is the person who runs Location Rebel and I joined Location Rebel in August 2011 and learned how to freelance write. Like, so I became a freelance writer. I quit my job in June 2012 and went full-time as a freelance writer. Now, no background in writing whatsoever. I want to let people know that. Like, I have no degree in writing and I certainly wasn't writing a lot during my day as in emails and reports and stuff like that, but not blog posts or anything like that, which is what I was doing from freelance writing. So yeah, so I quit my job in 2012 and I was a freelance writer full-time for probably a solid two years until I started to feel that niggle again where I was like, okay, is this actually what I want to continue doing for the rest of my life? Like, Do I want to be writing articles for other people that don't have my name associated with it because you're basically, you know, ghostwriting those articles. And I came to the conclusion that, no, I did not want to do that. So in 2013, late 2013, I started researching what it would look look like to write books because one thing I'd learned was that I did really love to write. Like I really, that's how I express myself. I've always had a diary. So I was like, okay, well, what would it look like to actually make money from writing? And I just remember devouring everything I could about being an author, self-publishing. And at the time, I didn't even consider traditional publishing, right? Like it wasn't even a business model that I looked at because I was seeing so much information about self-publishing. And at the time, the person that I came across was a guy called Steve Scott. And I'd been following Steve for a while anyway, just because he already had um, information about internet marketing and you know online marketing, all those sorts of things. And that's when I learned that he had a whole book a whole slew of books on those topics and that he was making money from his books. And I'm like, well, (laughs) if Steve's doing it, I can do it. But at the time, Steve didn't have a course or anything like that. And he wasn't offering coaching. So I was like, okay, I felt very intimidated about the process of writing and publishing a book. Like I remember picking up a book going, I have no idea how this even comes together. I don't even know what, where to start, what that looks like or anything like that. So around, I would say it was July 2014 is when I discovered self-publishing school um, and Chandler Bolt was my coach, was very lucky. It was the only time he coached. So worked with Chandler and produced my first book and became extremely addicted. And then fast forward, we have 30 plus books published. <laughs> so that's like the journey. Wow. I don't know how you find time to write. So you wrote 30 books within the course of like five, six years. Yes. Wow. (laughs) It's not as hard as you think. (laughs) Yeah. I I only have two books right now. I'm working on a third one, self-publishing as well. But yeah, can you go into maybe some of your books and what they're about? Sure. I mean, I write about lots of different things. Well, yes, Lots of different things, but they are connected. So one thing that I, the conversation that I have with new students um, or anyone that I'm coaching is before you write, you need to make sure you know who you're writing to, like who your audience is. So all of my books serve the same audience. So my audience is typically women aged between 35 and 55 who are looking to start an online business in some way, shape, or form. And they're looking to make an impact, share their knowledge. Like They really 
want to do something different exactly like I was back in 2011 where I was just like okay this is not what I want to be doing for the rest of my life so my books my probably my most popular book is Side Hustle Blueprint which is all about how to start a side hustle because that's exactly what I did back in 2011 it is heavily focused on freelancing because I do believe that if you're in a job it's an easier transition to go from job to freelancer versus going from job to coach or job to course creator or you know any of the above. Freelancing gives you a little bit more structure because that's something that I definitely found unless you are self-motivated and you should know this about yourself already, right? Unless you are highly self-motivated, working from home is going to be a struggle and a lot of people that I've worked with, that is the thing that they struggle with the most is the self-motivation piece because now you're the boss. You can get up whenever you want. You can sit down and watch Netflix whenever you want to, right? And so it's being able to have that structure and freelancing gives you that structure because now you're accountable to somebody else. Somebody has hired you to do something you're now accountable. Um, so yes, the Side Hustle Blueprint really walks you through that entire process that I that I went through of how do I figure out what I'm going to do? What does that look like? And there is, I think, 200 plus ideas for you to start. Like I give you all of those pieces and then walking you through the boring parts. Like how do you set up the business side of things? Because that's something else that people struggle with is how do I set up the business? How do I find my first client? Like all of those pieces. That's what Side Hustle Blueprint talks about. So I've got that series. I also, my very first book was No Gym Needed, which is what I did with self-publishing school. And that is because one, I hate the gym. (laughs) I'm not a fan and you can't go to the gym right now either. So I wrote a book that was based on how to exercise at home, but in 30 minutes. So it's really high impact, but also without having to buy a whole bunch of equipment. Cause I was also like, I don't want to have kettlebells and dumbbells lying around. So it really walks you through how to exercise at home with stuff that's lying around the house, right? Like cans, milk bottles, like all those things. That's what I walk you through. So there's a whole, that's how that book came about was because I was struggling with doing that from home myself, um, but I wanted to exercise and I wanted to move and do all those things. So yeah, so I have, um, so I have the Side Hustle Blueprint series. I have the No Gym Needed series. And then I also have some mindset-based things. I have a, like, I guess it would be productivity-related um, and Cultivate Your Hustle, which is a workbook, which was inspired out of Side Hustle Blueprint. So I have a lot of people who start their side hustle and then they're like, okay, well, what do I do next? And the Cultivate Your Hustle workbook walks you through with a whole bunch of exercises to get clear on what your next steps are, like in terms of should you be growing? What does that look like? How do you automate some things? Like how do you set up an amazing process to keep your amazing clients and customers happy? So yeah, so lots of different things in there. I have a couple that are specifically about what it's like to be an author. So I have one called I Am An Author, which is very mindset based because being any creative person requires a certain type of mindset and we tend to have these 
lovely little thoughts that come into our mind when we're trying to do something creative that tries to sabotage us every single time. So yeah, so I have that one and then one specifically on mindset altogether, which is called Mind the Chatter. So that's a brief overview of some of the <laughs> some of the books that I have. So do you use self-publishing school for all of your books or was that just for the first one and then you kind of got the hang of how it works and then do it all on your own now? Yeah like I mean self-publishing school is they teach you step by step the process right once you know the process you do it again 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 so it's not like I need to go back through the school every time I do it because I know what I'm doing and you tend to come up with your own process as well right like so Chandler is teaching you what what his process is you tweak it to suit you because everyone's different and everyone approaches things differently. So that's exactly what I I did. I went, okay, I understand the entire process now. Now I know like the writing piece like is literally buttoned here. There's no secret to writing a book. It's you've got to do the work. Like So that's not different for anybody. They have to write the book. But then in terms of optimizing for Amazon and then launching, like the launch piece is probably the most important aspect of launching a book and that's where most people struggle right like the, I so many people I'm just like great I published a book and nothing happened so I, you know if you're sitting there going I really want to write and publish a book do it but make sure you have a really solid marketing plan so just like you would launch any business online the same thing applies to a book you have to launch it you have to tell people about it and also, if you want Amazon to promote your book, you have to trigger their little um, algorithm, which, which, of course, I don't tell you about. Um, but we know that the Amazon algorithm is triggered when you have reviews and sales converting within that first 30 days of the book going live. So if you're doing any type of business online, marketing is key. Yeah, can you tell us maybe some of those launch strategies or Yeah, I mean it just it depends, right? Like whenever I have this conversation with students, I'm just like, what is your number one goal with this book? Like, let's start there. What is that? And then if someone says to me, I want to make a crap ton of money, which is what most people say, I'm like, great, this is what that looks like. So to do to generally I reestablish reality. <laughs> So let's just be clear, when you launch a book, unless you have done a six to eight month pre-order process, the first time you launch a book, you are going to launch at a loss, right? Like that's the reality. That's the norm. Unless you've got 10,000 plus to invest in a six to eight month pre-order process, right? So that's what that looks like. So if you're sitting there going, I know Michael Hyatt launches his book and he earns loads of money, that's because he does a six to eight month process and he spends $10,000 on ads, right? So it's just, it's understanding about what that looks like. So I asked that question, I'm like, okay, let's say you're going to run at a loss the first time you launch. So let's actually focus on more getting it into the hands of the people that you're trying to help and getting your book to bestseller. So that's the reframe that I generally help people understand. And so that really looks like choosing a seven-day period for launch, right? You're going to say, I'm launching the book on this. And when I say launching, it's really just the date that you choose your intentional marketing to start. As far as Amazon is concerned, your book is published when you hit publish, right? It's live on Amazon. 
So they are not necessarily one in the same date because I would recommend publishing your book a few days before you actually want to launch to allow the following things. Number one, to allow both the print book and the Kindle version to show up on the same sales page together. That doesn't happen instantly. It can take up to three days for that to take place. And you absolutely want them to be on the same sales page so that when your reader lands on there, they can decide which one do I want, the Kindle version or the print version. That's number one. Number two, you are going to want some reviews. So if you're going to promote your book in any way, shape or form, you're going to need probably a minimum of 10 reviews to be able to submit your book to any promotional sites. So that's where a launch team comes in. So that's where you build a launch team of 50 to 100 people. And normally you would pull this from an existing email list if you have one or you need to go and build a launch team. And that looks like inviting people to that to that process. And that is Facebook groups, um, LinkedIn groups, wherever your target reader is hanging out, that's where you're going to invite people to join your launch team. And their number one goal is to help you get some of those initial reviews. There are paid options out there to get reviews. They just take a little bit longer, right? So you just have to remember that Anything that you're doing from a re- review perspective is just going to take a little bit longer if you decide to pay for it because you have to allow people to read the book. Any of those services require at least a minimum of you know 14 days before. So just if you're thinking about doing things like that, which is why I prefer the launch team because it's a little bit faster. That's what they're doing in the first you know sort of period before your intentional marketing starts. And then once the intentional marketing starts, that's when you're focused on for the next seven days promoting the book like crazy. So there are a ton of individual promotional sites. And when I say individual promotional sites that are 100% dedicated to promoting Kindle books that are on sale, right? So a book that's on sale is free up to $2.99. That's the normal price point that you can submit your book to those promotional sites. Google it, you'll find thousands of them. Do your due diligence though. Make sure that their readership meets is the um, readers that are aligned with your book, right? So there's no point submitting one of my nonfiction books to a promotional site that is for romance readers. It's not going to work, right? They'll take your money, right? They'll take your money. They'll absolutely take your money and promote your book, but it's not going to work. So you can, most of those promotional sites will give you that information, will tell you what their readership breakdown is, all those types of things. I would recommend running Amazon ads as well. I typically run Amazon ads during launch. They take a little bit longer to kick in. So you're looking at probably a minimum. So I typically run, start my Amazon ads seven days prior to my official launch date. So yes, that means that my book is live seven days prior to launch. I mean, I allow that time frame for my launch team to leave reviews. I might have some other things going on. I'm checking to make sure that everything looks right once it's published because sometimes things happen when you hit publish and KDP's platform can be very interesting. So I really just focus on promoting it to my email list. I have a you know an email list of 7,000 um, plus people now. So I'm able to launch a book to my email list and I don't have to heavily rely on major, you know, all those promotional 
um, site. So I don't actually do any of the promotional sites. The one that I do do is Buck Books. They are amazing. So 100% will do at least one of those and then Amazon ads and then promoting to my, my email list. Yeah. So that's literally what my launch looks like. Yeah, I've submitted my book for launches like that and to to a variety of sites. And I found that Buck Books is the best one as well. Absolutely. Mo- like where I actually get the most traction. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's interesting. True. Yeah. I wonder I wonder why that is. I mean their their website is so basic. It's just like Yeah. <laughs> you put in your email. They keep it simple. Yeah, I think I know the guy that runs um Buck Books, Matt Stone, and Matt has he started that not long after I started self-publishing, right? So back in 2015 is when he started that. So you imagine that they've built um, their email list. So I think they've got over 500,000 subscribers. Uh-huh. And when, and I, I don't know if you get their emails, but, you know, their emails are really funny. Like it's, they give you, it's it's different, it's fun. And they're solely focused on, promoting books that are on sale whereas a lot of those other promotional sites when you get their email there's a lot of other stuff going on in the email like they might have like banner ads running or something else but I find that buck books is just it's a simple email it tells you a little bit about the book and you and it says click here like it's it's really easy and people know that the books that they promote are quality, right? They have a really good quality control and you know, really assess your book before they'll promote it. So they protect their email list very well. What is your opinion on, I know that this is a kind of a hot topic, but between going unlimited, Kindle Unlimited, mm-hmm. or no, KDP Select. I guess that's Kindle Unlimited to the yes. customer, but KDP yes. Select. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What's your opinion on that? Because I've tried both ways and I don't know. <laughs> yeah, it's really, it's a strategy, right? So if you're the, if you're a first-time author, I would always recommend it for the first 90 days, right? So for anyone that's listening, KDP Select is where your book is locked to Amazon. And now this is only the ebook. The print book, you can do with it as you wish. The ebook is locked to distribution by Amazon only for the for 90 days. And it just re-enrolls every 90 days. So you have to keep an eye on that because they'll just re-enroll it for you. And what that gives you access to is five free days per 90 days. So you have the ability to put it on free, which I would recommend the first time that you're launching your a book for the very first time as an author. They also heavily promote books that are in in KDP Select, right? So they fully, you'll notice that when you're looking on Amazon, it says Kindle Unlimited. So if anyone has a Kindle Unlimited subscription, they're always going to be geared towards grabbing that book. As an author though, you have to make a decision around whether this is going to be a good fit for you. And so basically my, and I have, the majority of my books not enrolled in KDP Select. And here is how I make that decision. One, KDP Select is geared towards large books, as in you get paid on pages read. That's the K-E-N-P in the in the back end, like in your dashboard. So you get paid based on pages read. And so Amazon Amazon can track pages read on any of their Kindle devices or the Kindle app. And if you're wondering how they do that, all you have to do is when you're reading, you'll see that down in the right-hand corner, it says percentage read. 
That's how they track how many pages you're reading. And so as an author, we get paid on on that, but it's such a low amount and it changes. Every month there is like the KDP Select pool of funds. On average, now, when they first rolled it out, it used, it was lucrative, right? Like I had all of my books enrolled because it was only about 30 cents less than what I would make if I was not enrolled in KDP Select. So I was like, okay, well, they're promoting the book for me. I'm not having to do anything. Now, though, you're looking at maybe six cents a page read. So if your book is under two, 300 pages and someone on average only reads 25% of your book, you do the math on what that looks like. So I generally say have it enrolled for the first 90 days, take it out for another 90 days and compare. What did you earn in and out? And that's how I make a decision. It's because you really can't make decisions unless you've got data. But I will say this, it is definitely definitely geared towards fiction authors, fiction books, because fiction books are at least 50,000 words or higher, which means that they're at least, you know, 400 pages. And then, and particularly fiction, people read fiction, right? If you're an amazing author and you've got a series, people are just going to consume fiction, especially right now. So if you're a fiction author and you're not in KDP Select, you should be in KDP Select right now because everybody is just grabbing those books. That's basically what happens. And also it's important to understand that if someone has Kindle Unlimited, they're just borrowing your book. They're not actually buying it. So when they go to leave a review, it also shows up as unverified. Because Amazon is like, well, I can't confirm that they purchased the book because they didn't purchase it. It's ridiculous. I actually feel like Amazon need to make that change because it's their program. But yeah, they're basically saying, well, this person didn't buy the book, so it's unverified. And all that that means is is that Amazon waits or lists a verified review higher than an unverified review. So if if your book's in KDP Select and everybody just grabs it, all those reviews are going to be unverified. That's good information because some of those things that wasn't aware of because, yeah, my books are pretty short. Mm-hmm. They're, they're nonfiction and they're short. Yep. Yep. Um, so maybe it doesn't make sense then for because it seemed like when I enrolled it that it did well, like for the first day or well-ish. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, but then it didn't do anything yeah. while it was in. So, yeah, I go yeah, back and I- forth. Yeah, I unenroll it. It's it's just it's yeah. not worth it, and then price it accordingly, right? Like price it so that if if your target audience is like, I want this, like I typically price things around two ninety nine because that is that is about the norm for nonfiction. Fiction is completely different, but nonfiction in most instances two ninety nine is the expectation, right? You have to remember that you're on Amazon's platform. They have trained readers to expect books, Kindle books, to be at a certain price. So if you want to play the game with Amazon and that's the platform that you're using, then price accordingly. Yeah, so I typically say $2.99, particularly if it's a short book, $2.99 is a good price point and it should move. And then you can do a strategy of dropping it to $0.99 every 90 days, right? Like just to reinvigorate it, pop it back up, do a seven-day intentional marketing promotion because that's the thing. You can relaunch a book anytime you want. 
Yeah, mainly the only reason I use it now is when I'm wanting to do one of those like free or 99 cent promos, like Mm -hmm. sending out the book to other directories and whatnot. Yeah. Because the only way you can get your book free on Amazon Mm -hmm. is if you do that, unless you do, you are wide and you do a price match. Correct. Uh, But as I understand, they don't always price match it, right? Sometimes they don't. It's up to them, right? Like yeah. it's, it's Amazon's decision whether they will do price matching or not. And they will, you to do that, that's when you would want to have a launch team that goes in and, and says, I've seen this at a cheaper price. Like you'd need multiple people for that to work. It's not, it's definitely not as easy anymore. So yeah, you're right. Like you have to go, do I want to, if I want to use the free, then I have to be enrolled in KDP Select. And so, you, and that's why I just say you have to, it's a strategy. So you do it for 90 days and unroll it. So yeah, it depends. And, you know, for the first two years of my sort of author career, I predominantly did launch most in KDP Select for the first 90 days and then I would unenroll. Now I don't because I have an email list big enough to to not have to worry about being enrolled like I launch a book at 99 cents typically like I don't I don't worry about the free portion 99 cents and free there to me there is not a lot of difference like if you're not prepared to pay 99 cents then you really don't want the book right and so my my mindset is well you're not the type of person that I can help because if you're not prepared to invest 99 cents then you're probably not prepared to invest any time on the thing that I'm helping you with through my book some of the listeners may wonder, well, why would you even want to offer it for free? But of course, with self-publishing, you have the freedom to put in like lead capture, lead generation mm-hmm. at the front, back, wherever of the book. So Absolutely. sometimes you'd rather have someone have the book for free mm-hmm. and you're not making any direct money off of it. But the fact that now either you can maybe grow your email list from a lead generation, Absolutely. you know, like get my free whatever in the front of the book, that that's worth more over time than, you know, a dollar. For two. sure. <laughs> For sure. And that's why I always, it always comes back to what is your number one goal with the book? How is, how does the book fit in to your goals? Like, what are you trying to do? And so, yeah, I mean, predominantly now I use my books to funnel people into my email list. So, but I don't need to use the free to do that, right? Because anyone can choose the look inside feature and see my lead magnet right at the beginning of the book. But I run Amazon ads ongoing so that the book is always being promoted. So it's showing up. So on average, I'm probably collecting around 20 people a day just from my books, just through. So yeah, so I'm running Amazon ads at break break even so I'm not I'm not making money but I'm doing it intentionally to get people into my email list because once someone is in your email list and you know what you're doing with your email list then you get to talk to them and sell them on other products that you might have or other books right like not everybody wants to create products but you can definitely talk to them about other books and that's a good point you made about the look inside. So it's like mm-hmm. someone doesn't even actually have to buy your book or no. get it for free. And, and that's kind of a strategy, a good mm-hmm. strategy to use to put a call to action in the front of the book so that when someone can go look inside, they could still sign up for your list or whatever. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I would and, rather someone join my email list than buy my book, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> No, no, I'm not that I'm doing that with any bad intention. I don't want anyone to think that, but 
I now have the ability to talk to someone more than I do through my book, right? Amazon does not pass on customer information. So the only way is to make sure that you are incentivizing someone joining your email list. Yeah. And I think that, you know, I don't know how traditional publishing works if you are even allowed to put in something like that. No, they are not. So, I mean, there's so many advantages, in my opinion, to self-publishing, but that's Mm -hmm. a huge one to Mm -hmm. be able to put in lead magnets, basically. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, you don't have a lot. I think for me, when it comes to the traditional publishing versus self-publishing, it's really understand what you actually get between the two. And the reality is for most people, unless you have an established platform, and what I mean by that is you have a fairly large email list and I'm talking 20,000 plus subscribers, right? I'm not talking anything smaller than that. I'm talking 20,000 plus subscribers, a very engaged social media platform, right? Traditional publishers advance you money. Now, that advance is something that has to be paid back before you make any money. You have to pay pay that back through sales or well, you physically aren't paying, but you have to sell so many books before you will see royalties. And so this is where a lot of authors come unstuck they just get the numbers like you know wow I'm going to get this amazing um, advance but don't understand that that money they can't make any more money until they sell enough copies of their book to pay back that advance and unless you have an established platform how are you going to do that because traditional publishers do not market your book the way that you think they do they will roll it out into bookstores and libraries, but that's about it. Unless you're a Stephen King, Rachel Hollis, like really big names. And if you look at both of them, they both have very established platforms. They're not going to do anything for you. You're responsible for the marketing. So when if you ever get approached with a traditional publishing option, read the fine print. The other thing that is a reason why I would never go the traditional publishing route is you have no control. Once once you sign that document, once you sign that contract, they control the book as in they control the cover, they control the price, they control everything that goes in it. You have zero control other than the fact that your name is on that book. That's it. Mm-hmm. You don't you don't get to you can't put a sale. You can't put your book on sale. You, like you can't do anything. So yeah, so I'm a control freak. So (laughs) I'm not giving up control. Now there are hybrid, like there's hybrid options, but I would also be very careful with a hybrid option because a lot of the authors that I work with have gone the hybrid route and they still find that they can't do the things that you can do as a self-published author. Namely, you have full control over updating keywords and categories, which is a huge piece of triggering Amazon's algorithm. They can't make any updates to their book without having to pay another fee. Like there's just lots and lots of reasons why I personally wouldn't. But as long as if you're looking at anything like that, read and understand the fine print. Really truly understand what that means. Ask questions. That's one thing that, you know, anyone that I've worked with, they didn't know the questions to ask right? So they just signed the contract. So questions to ask are things like, what does it look like if I want to update the interior of my book? 
What are the costs associated with that? How easy is that to do? I have one student who it takes the the publisher 12 months to make any updates to their book. Like actually ridiculous. Can you know, can I do I have control to put my um, book on sale? Can I change the pricing? Can I update keywords and categories? Like, do I have control over my KDP account? Most often not, right? So that's why I'm saying these are questions that you want to understand and ask so that you can make the decision. But for some people, they go that route because a lot of the hybrid publishers will take care of the publishing piece and the marketing, that initial marketing piece. But at the end of the day, you are responsible for long-term sales, long-term promotion, and what I traditionally see is after the first 30 days of a book going live, it dies. Like it just starts to plummet down. And that's just because if you don't have any intentional marketing still going, aka Amazon ads, because it's about traffic, just like a website. If you don't have traffic coming to your website, no one's going to see your blog post. Same deal. If you don't have traffic coming to your book, no one's going to buy it. So you have to figure out what that looks like. And at a minimum, Amazon ads would be what I recommend. Yeah. So with a traditional publishing deal, they get, well, they don't always get an advance, but if they do, and mm-hmm. any sales they make just basically drops down what they owe. So what if they don't sell enough to make up that advance? Then do they have to pay out of pocket the difference? No, they just never see a cent. Mm, yeah. It all goes back to the publisher, right? So mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like... And as I understand it, even when they are getting beyond that and getting paid royalties, it's only usually like a dollar a book. Whereas, yeah, it's the, sorry, Sarah, I was just going to say the maximum that you could ever make in royalties through a traditional publisher is 15%. So one five versus 70% through Amazon. And it's different through other distribution channels too. There, it's the average is around sixty to seventy percent. But yeah, I'd much rather take that. Now, obviously, you have to be selling the book, right? So it's all well and good to be like, yeah, I'm self-publishing, but I'm not getting any money. So again, it just comes back to the marketing. Marketing is key, and I have a lot of authors say to me, you know, I don't like self-promotion. I don't. I feel uncomfortable doing that. I totally get it, but it's not self-promotion. You're promoting your book. And I especially think about it from my reader's perspective. Once the book is published, it's got nothing to do with me. It's how is this book going to help somebody? And that's what I focus on. I'm like, okay, well, I really want to make sure that this book gets into as many people's hands as possible. So I'm going to do everything that I can to promote the book so that more and more people get access to it so it's it's just a switch of just being going okay well this is not about me yeah my name is on that book but it's no longer about me it's about the person that I'm trying to help the whole reason that I wrote this book was to help somebody obviously I'm talking about nonfiction. fiction you're entertaining that's all that fiction does is pure entertainment so yeah so that's kind of how I how I approach that process is to just really focus on how making sure that I get this out to as many people as possible. Yeah. And I feel that, and like you said, unless you're well-known that traditional probably doesn't make sense. Cause first of all, are you even going to get a deal mm-hmm. first? And even if you did, especially if you're writing nonfiction, it's like, 
it takes so long to get a book deal that whatever your topic is on the nonfiction, I don't think this applies to fiction as much, but you know, it might not even be relevant in one or three years, however long it might take for them <laughs> to get your book out Absolutely. there. Absolutely. And I mean, the thing is, is that you can actually use self-publishing to get a traditional contract, right? Like a traditional publisher will stand up and take notice of you if you do amazing self-publishing your book. Now you might choose not to go the traditional publishing route after the fact, but a really good example of that is Hal Alrod, who wrote The Miracle Morning. So Hal originally wanted to go the traditional publishing route with that book, but no one would give him what he felt the book was worth, right? So he got a he had a publicist who was, or sorry, an agent who was, you know, talking to people, and and he was just like, yeah, I'm not, I don't feel comfortable accepting such a low amount of money. I'm just going to focus on self publishing and promoting the book through podcast interviews, and that's all he did. Now it took him 18 months to get to a point where he was selling 10,000 copies plus per month. Then he got approached by a traditional publisher, and he said, no, thank you, because <laughs> if you're selling 10,000 copies a month and you're making 70% royalty, why would you drop down to 15%, mm-hmm. right? Like, why would you? That does not make any sense. Now, for Hal's second book, though, he decided to go the traditional publishing route because he wanted to do a comparison. And they offered him a large sum of money up front, like very, very large, that it made sense for him and his family, right? He did it to set his family up for life, basically, but he also has a hundred thousand people on his email list now. So he's confident that he can sell that that many books over the next five years to pay back, you know, pay back that advance and then start making money. But when I because I know how personally I asked him the question, I said, Would you go self-published or a traditional? He goes, 100 percent self-published. He goes, I would not go the traditional publishing route again. It was fun to experiment. But if I was someone that was relying on this as my main source of income, why would I go traditional? So it's interesting to hear from someone who has been really successful through self-publishing to then go, yeah, let's try it. Let's try the traditional publishing and then go, no, I'm not going to do that again. (laughs) Yeah, I've heard that, but not about him, but I've heard that for other people that they've Mm -hmm. done both and Mm -hmm. they prefer self-publishing and that they would never go traditional again. So yeah. <laughs> and then when you go wide, who do you use to distribute? I use Draft Digital, but I know there's yeah. others. Yeah, no, I use Draft Digital too. Oh, okay. I have used Smashwords before, but I just don't like their interface. Yeah. And for me, it always comes down to user experience. So I'm just like, yeah, no, I much prefer Draft Digital. Yeah, yeah that, that's why I pick them is because yeah. it's much more, it's easier on the eyes. I can actually tell what's going on. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. And with Smashwords, you've got to get a really, you've got to use their template, right? To upload. Mm -hmm. So I'm just like, well, why make, you're making it harder for me to get my book out there. So yeah, Mm -hmm. no. Digital is, it's whatever's easiest for me, Mm. right? Like I'm always looking for stuff that's easy. I don't like to make things complicated. (laughs) Right. (laughs) And then you also do coaching and consulting. Is that right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I do. Yeah. So I consult to self-publishing school. So I'm a, I'm a coach there three days a week. And then outside of that, I'm, I'm a coach for all of the products and offers that I have. So I have a private Facebook group called the Empowered Hustle Community. So 
that's predominantly where people go once they join my email list. They come and join um, everybody inside that group. I'm live there Monday to Friday sharing lots of different things. And I have a really intentional sales plan. So I launch where it, it sees me launching something every Monday. So there's an opportunity to work with me in some form or capacity at least once a week. <laughs> That's how I, I like to roll. I'm creative. I don't, I'm definitely not someone who's just like, oh, I've just got one signature course and I'm just going to promote the crap out of that. That's why I have 30 plus books because I like to be creative. And so my approach is very much the same with my group programs is I like to do lots of different things all the time. And can you tell us a little bit about Hustle and Groove? Yeah. So Hustle and Groove is my main website. So if you check it out, you'll see exactly what I mean. So that's predominantly where I have a huge blog archive. I think I have something like 300 plus blog posts hanging out there. So if you're looking, you know, if you just jump on there and just search, you'll find a ton of information about starting a side hustle, what it looks like to be an author, um, list building, email marketing, productivity type stuff. There is a ton of information there. But yeah, so Hustle and Groove is, is my brand. That's predominantly where I funnel people to. And then, yeah, like I said, into the Facebook group as well. Yeah, I'm going to need to join that Facebook group. (laughs) (laughs) Well, just come join. (laughs) (laughs) Well, let's see. Was there anything else you want to discuss? Maybe like uh, productivity hacks or email marketing? Any kind of tips? Yeah, I mean... (sighs) It's that email marketing is such a huge topic and yeah. something that a lot of people really struggle with in the beginning. And I certainly did too, right? I was just like, I have no idea how to build an email list or what that even really looks like. And I will say this over, you know, since I started my business back in 2011, my email list could be a lot bigger had I focused on intentionally growing my email list, but I didn't for at least the first four years, I did not, I've only been intentionally growing my email list for two years. And so that's one thing I would say. And when I say intentional, I mean, every single day, focusing on something to bring people into your email list. So for me, like I've, you have to figure out what works for you and what is easiest for you that my whole filter, whenever I'm deciding is, is this easy? Is this fun for me? Like, I'm just like, okay, can I do this? Is it fun? Great. Then I'll do it. If it's not, I don't want to do it. So for me, the things that I've had the most success with are Facebook lead generation ads. So automatic, just on autopilot, I have those running all the time. 30 plus people every single day come into my email list from those lead generation ads. I love them. They're so fun. Can't stand normal Facebook ads, but the lead generation ads are amazing. And then I do a strategy, which is a collaboration strategy, which I do every 90 days. So between those two things, I'm intentionally bringing new people into my world every single day. You don't have to do that, right? Like you do not have to continually grow your email list, but you do need to nurture. So it depends on what your goals are. You can have an amazing email list at a thousand people. I would say a thousand is about the right amount if you want to make money that's the thing like why are you building an email list in the first place that's why I always say to people what's your intention like don't start an email list until you know exactly what you're doing with the email list because in 30 days that email list is cold if you haven't sent them something so don't build an email list until you have a very clear intention of what you plan to do with it and don't monetize that email list for it at least 30 days, right? So when someone first comes into your email list, you need to nurture them 
And that means building no like and trust. And so where I see a lot of people fail is building an email list and then all they do is sell and then everybody leaves because who wants to be sold to all the time? Nobody. So yeah, so just think about, I think about my email list as a group of my friends and that's how I treat them. I talk to them like normal people, (laughs) right? Like I talk to them, I tell them things and, you know, I email my list almost daily. I'm either saying, hey, I'm going live today inside the Facebook group. Are you there? Come join me. This is what I'm talking about. So quite often we'll email them just to let them know about that. Or I'm, I'm telling them about my recent blog post or a video I did on YouTube. Like just always letting them know that they can access information when they need to access information. Okay. And then do you also have a email sequence set up seven days? Yeah. Is it seven? I can't remember. It's gone through a lot of transitions. So I think it's around five or six emails. Yeah. So I have a welcome sequence that everybody goes through, no matter where that which lead magnet they've sort of come in through. They all go through the same welcome sequence. And then depending on the actions they take within that welcome sequence, they will then funnel down into a different segment based on you know how they self self-select basically and then yeah from there I and then I have like a master list as well so once everyone kind of goes through all those funnels they then land in the master list which then gets at least a weekly email from me about my latest blog post or when I'm going live inside the Facebook group and who do you use is it ConvertKit yeah I use ConvertKit 100% yeah I've been using ConvertKit for at least four years now yeah, I, I currently use MailerLite. Mm-hmm. Um, MailerLite's good too. Yeah, because they have a free plan. <laughs> and I'm the frugalpreneur. So, uh, yeah, but, I mean, ConvertKit now has a free plan too, right? Okay. Up to 500 subscribers. Okay. Well, I'll have to check them out again because I don't mm-hmm. think when I was looking around, I don't think they did. I did have MailChimp and I, because they have a free plan, but I didn't yes. like them. <laughs> MailChimp is, and it's just because MailChimp really made a move last year into who they serve. And so MailChimp is very much focused on serving e-commerce businesses. So if you're not an e-commerce business, MailChimp is not your best friend at all. Mm. And just the way that they charge you is stupid <laughs> right they, well just because and I'm not I'm not sure they may have fixed this now but and originally and I used to be with MailChimp originally MailChimp used to charge you per list so someone could you can have multiple lists in Mail, MailChimp or groups I can't I think it's lists and someone could be on all of those lists well you get charged for that one email address beyond multiple lists it's just a really dumb thing and then they also now charge for unsubscribes so if someone unsubscribes from your email list they charge you which what? is completely unintuitive yeah really <laughs> dumb and also because mailchimp has a free plan they have been, and they've had that free plan for years. I think it's up to your first 2,000 subscribers. So a lot of less than desirable people have used it. And so spamming is a big thing. So a lot of your emails when they leave MailChimp will land in someone's spam folder because of the service that they use. So yeah, so I, I generally recommend either ConvertKit or MailerLite for most people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'll have to check out that free plan on because mm-hmm. uh, because I don't have uh, a whole lot of subscribers yet, yeah. so I can yeah. I 
I you can easily switch. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. Once you get to about, I would say once, actually, once you get to about a thousand subscribers, mm-hmm. it's very difficult to switch. And it's, it's not difficult in the sense that you literally just download your, you export your list and upload it to a new platform. The things that you have to update is what the issue is. You have to update all your landing pages with the new platform. Like I went through this when I switched from MailChimp to ConvertKit because I had something like 3,000 subscribers and it was easy to move, but I had 100 plus landing pages that had to be updated and it took me a month to do that. <laughs> So I was paying for two platforms because I had to keep MailChimp because I pay, I had the paid platform for MailChimp to be able to get access to all the things. Not fun <laughs> at all. So yeah, make a decision and then generally stick with it. It, has, it would have to be something pretty major for me to jump ship to somewhere right. else now. Yeah, I like MillerLite. I actually interviewed them well, several months ago for my yeah. podcast. Yeah. But yeah, I don't know. I like to, I, I have this, addiction i don't know if that's the right word but to like constantly be checking out different tools and stuff and comparing them (laughs) yeah and that's i mean it's a good thing too i mean i love new tools all the time too yeah i went from using trello to using clickup and i love clickup now it took me a little bit to get used to it because i really liked i've i've been using trello for seven years so it took it's taken me a lot to switch but clickup combines a lot of things that Trello just doesn't have access to anymore. So, yeah. Hmm. It really comes down to, yeah, ClickUp is not very well known Hmm. and ClickUp is free. You don't have to pay Hmm. for the pro version. I just like the fact that you can choose your views. So ClickUp allows you to view Kanban style, which is what Trello is. You know, it's visually list view, which is what Asana is. Or you can also choose to view calendar with, what would you call it? It's like project management. I can't think what the term is where you can see all your projects and it's all, and you can put start and end dates and have multiple tasks sitting within a project. Like, yeah, it's, it's great for me because I have so many things on the go. Um, but yeah, click up, oh, wow. check it out. It's free. Yeah. I'm going to have to check that out. Yeah. <laughs> well, I appreciate your time today. And You're is welcome. there any, anything else you want to go over? Uh, I know everyone can find you at leasecartwright.com mm-hmm. or, hustleandgroove.com. Dot com. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Perfect. Yeah. Yeah. Can and then start- I'll also have show notes and whatnot at yeah. the com forward slash lease. That's L-I-S-E. Perfect. No, I just, I would love to have anyone come check us out and come join the Empowered Hustle community. There are tons of people in there doing amazing things and you'll learn so much. Well, thank you for your time. Well, thanks for having me, Sarah. If you enjoyed and found value from this episode, I'd greatly appreciate it if you rate, review, subscribe, and share at ratethispodcast.com forward slash frugalpreneur. Until next time. Are you a frugalpreneur looking to connect with like-minded individuals? Join our community on Slack. Connect with fellow listeners share your thoughts on episodes, engage in meaningful discussions, including money-saving tips and entrepreneurial insights, and help shape the future of the Frugalpreneur podcast. Plus, you can submit your questions in written or audio form to be featured on the show. Let's build a supportive space together. Join us now at frugal.show forward slash slack. See you on the inside.